What's up, people? Tuesday. Now, I hate this Subway Series stuff. I'm not a big fan. As a Yankee fan, and this is going to sound arrogant as hell, and that's just too bad. (laughs) Yankee fans are in a no-win situation. If you win, you're supposed to win. If you lose, you never hear the end of it. But that's just sort of the cross we bear, as they say. But this is Market Call. It is Tuesday, July 26th. I am a Yankee fan. I am Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. We do this together. Today's Market Call brought to you by Dan CME Group, where risk, in fact, meets opportunity and we're powered by Open Exchange. Now, interesting day today. We'll see how it shakes itself out. Market trying to stage a bit of a comeback, but we will see. I think the thing that most most fascinates me, um, bonds continue to be just interesting in a word, Dan Nathan. Well, interesting. I think it was the, the volatility that we were talking about yesterday. I got you a little tuned up. And, and Guy, I don't see what you see as the market trying to stage a comeback. We were saying yesterday the stocks really felt like they just kind of topped out a little bit Friday afternoon, losing a little bit of that steam. And I just think that you know the follow-through into today, led by some of these big tech names, is very notable into Microsoft mm-hmm. and Google's earnings. And we're going to hit that um, in this market call. But you know when you talk about bonds, Guy, I, I think this is a really interesting thread. I don't think you and I would say that we're particularly big fans of Bill Ackman of Pershing Square. He was a former activist investor. You guys know him from Herbalife and Target and a bunch of his other greatest hits here. But he had this tweet thread today that I thought was really interesting, and I really want to get your thoughts on it. So he says, tomorrow, Powell is likely to be asked, market pricing implies that terminal Fed funds rate will peak at 3.4% in December of this year, immediately declining thereafter to 2.7% by year end of 2023. What factors would cause the Federal Reserve to immediately lower rates uh, after just raising them? Okay, so the point he's trying to make here is that if the market believes that the Fed is going to pivot, it's going to have less effectiveness in actually doing the thing that raising rates was meant to do, which was tame inflation. I do think it's an interesting take. Curious to your thoughts here, Guy, because again, if Fed funds futures are pricing an immediate you know, kind of reversal in 2023 and rates to come back down, will it actually do the thing that they hope it to do with inflation? Yeah, great question. I mean, first of all, Bill Ackman, those... If you can't do it in one tweet, just don't do it. These tweet <laughs> threads are ponderous. I mean, it, you think people really give a shit? Anyway, but that's neither here nor there. I am not a tweet thread person, as you probably know. I'll say this. Listen to what Walmart said yesterday after yeah. the close. What's affecting them? What's affecting their consumer? Inflation. So the stock market goes down on the back of that. The stock goes down on the back of that. But the Fed to pivot on the back of that is counterintuitive. It's counterproductive. If you think about what's going to happen if the Fed signals that we're done and that this time next year, potentially, we're actually going to lower rates, that's going to open the floodgates for the exact problem they're trying to combat and the exact problem that Walmart is talking about, inflation. So, you know, you're going to say, well, they can't win. No, they can't win. And you know what? They painted themselves into this corner. So, my sense is, and I've been wrong a thousand times, I'll be wrong a thousand and one, that you know the market is not in their purview right now. They have to combat something, and if the market goes down on the back of it, that's just the, that's just the ancillary yeah. uh, factors, or that's just the sort of the, I guess, the, the, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The the, the, the p- price you have to pay, Dan yeah. Nathan. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, listen. You, you know, you and I kind of differ a little bit on this. I think the big error that they made was not doing what they did in 2020 with fiscal and monetary stimulus. Obviously, fiscal is the government there, and the Fed is monetary. It was just kind of continuing to do it throughout 2021 when you could start to see some of these inflationary pressures perking up and their inability to kind of see for what it was. I mean, I'm no economist. I'm not barely, you know, a market strategist here. I thought they would be transitory, but all of this stuff went haywire when we had these kind of geopolitical events kind of perking up. But to your point about rates, Guy, I mean, you know, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, they're at odds. You know, JP Morgan sees a pivot. Morgan Mm -hmm. Stanley sees more rates. I think the investor class, the guys like you know, Ackman are fairly well convinced that we are going to see that kind of vicious price spiral as it relates to inflation. And I think that's why these guys want the Fed to stay committed to battling inflation, because you make this point all the time. We really haven't had to deal with an economy that's dealing with a stagflationary situation, right? No, Where and prices said, stay out. Yeah, it's exactly. interesting. And I asked Bill Simon that last night on Fast Money. I said, you know, it's interesting for many of these operators They've never seen an environment like this. The last time we faced anything that's close was obviously in the early 1970s. And, you know, my sense is most, if not all of these people were not running organizations at that time. And it requires a skill set that I'm not sure a lot of people currently have. And I'm not suggesting I have as well. But, you know, when J.P. Morgan says peak inflation, you know, we might be on the other side of it. I would I would probably agree with that. And I've said it a number of times that 9.1 percent CPI print probably will be the high print. But with that said, it's going to be extraordinarily both pesky and persistent. And, you know, we're going to go from an eight handle to a seven handle to a six handle, which is three, still three standard deviations away from where they want it to be. So they can't um, change course right now. They've painted themselves into this corner. And I'm sorry if that offends people just the way it is. That's from 25 or 30 years of largesse coming home to roost all at once. Yeah, well, if you look at the CME FedWatch tool and you look at July, it's obviously a near certainty right now that they're going to raise tomorrow 75 Mm -hmm. basis points. And then if you look out to that September meeting, I will remind you, there's no meeting in August, as you know quite well, but there is that kind of KC Fed, that little Jackson Hole boondoggle at the end of August, where oftentimes where the Fed has made some moves, they've kind of specked it out there and floated some trial balloons. So if you look at September, it's basically saying about a 50% chance that we have um, a 3% Fed funds rate and maybe about a 40% chance that it's between three and three and a quarter and obviously a small chance that they kind of get more aggressive. So it's important to keep an eye on that, especially when you see Fed funds futures pricing about 3.4% by December. Guys, let's look at the S&P 500. We kind of tracked it yesterday. We don't have to go into too much detail about it. You called for the rally. You basically said, hey, listen, that was about good enough. If you look at where we topped out just over 4,000, the S&P 500, futures guy, that was right about the level where the Fed had gone from the consensus thinking it was a 50 basis point hike in July to, uh, or excuse me, in June at their June meeting to 75. And the stock market sold off about 10% in about a week and a half. That's where we topped out at. You see that kind of little uptrend that we've been in since June here. Do you think we get back there? That's back below 3,800. And will it be on the heels of this Fed meeting? I think it's going to be on the heels of um, big cap tech earnings, which obviously we'll talk about as well. But, you know, the Fed meetings, I don't think it's going to help. And again, I do think, just to emphasize, I think there are a lot of people out there that somehow believe when they see news out of a Walmart 
or they see crude oil come off as precipitously as it has, that's going to give the Fed air cover to sort of take their foot off the gas. I understand why people would think that, but the reality is they're so far behind that they have no choice but to keep their foot on the gas. And I've said it, you know, if you take a 35% um, haircut in commodities effectively, and you take 35% or so off 9.1, you're still talking about a CPI that's going to be trending in the mid to low sixes, which again, is three times what they're looking for. So if you're looking for relief in the form of Fed language, I think you're looking in the wrong place. The only thing I think you can really hang your hat on if you're looking for the market to continue to rally is big cap tech earnings. And I just don't think you're going to get it in the form of those numbers, Dan. Yeah, well, again, I think the market feels a little funky today, especially led by Microsoft to the downside, down 3%. Google down 2.25%, both report after the close. Obviously, Amazon down in sympathy with Walmart's uh, negative pre-announcement down 4.5%. But, Guy, you and I, you know, you've long thought 3,400 to 3,200 in the S&P 500. I am in that 3,400 camp. I think that, uh, obviously, we get there. We could easily overshoot. Looking at the S&P futures backed out, to 2019, you know, my level really is that kind of pre-pandemic high, and then I'll readjust. That's about 3410 or so. And to me, you know, we've been saying put a 16, 17 multiple on maybe flat to up single digit, mm-hmm. low single digit percenting EPS growth in the S&P 500. That's how you easily get to 3400. I still think that is in the cards here, but I just wanted to kind of point you to this VIX chart here. And Carter tweeted this yesterday. Um, you know, he often uses the expression to the penny. He was making the case that he thinks the VIX is going to rally and therefore S&P could go the opposite way lower. He said not to the penny. You see that uptrend that's been drawn since November. <laughs> Thoughts on that guy? If we were to see the VIX spike above 30, possibly to where it was in mid-June at 35, that's about 3,600 on the S&P, or that's where the S&P was last time it traded 35. Yeah, I think that math is right, uh, without question. And what's been interesting on the last few times the VIX has spiked, it's lasted, those spikes have lasted longer than just a day or two. Actually, in one case, you saw it was somewhat prolonged, and that was a different than what we'd been seeing, you know, six to nine months prior when they seem to be a one or two day event. So to a certain extent, this move lower in the VIX makes sense, I guess. But to a certain extent, it doesn't make sense either, given everything that we've been looking at and we've been challenged by. And I think the Walmart news is just one more thing. Listen, Walmart specific, yes. Are they going to be the first one? I guess, but they're not going to be the last. And this cuts across a swath of industries. So just buckle up. So I think Carter's right. Listen, not to the penny, I understand, but I do think the VIX probably trends into the low to mid-30s, and that's going to coincide, obviously, with an S&P 500 challenging the levels that we've talked about for a while. Yeah, so let's look at the NASDAQ 100 futures here really quickly. This is a year-to-date chart guy, and we see that the NASDAQ or the NDX is down, you know, about 25.5% or so. So it's underperforming um, the S&P, obviously, because the weight of those top five or six names make up over 40% of this 100 stock index here. You see that uptrend. It's kind of bounced off it a couple times just in July. It really feels like if we have one big disappointment from one of those big names, and let's say one of the other big names, just doesn't kind of counteract it or counterbalance it. We're going back towards that 11,000. You see that 13,000 is pretty staunch resistance. That was the early June highs. 
Thoughts on the NDX futures pulling them back, guy, out to the start of 2020. I mean, there is an air pocket down to that pre-pandemic high. Yeah, and if you look at it, I mean, you can see just visually, you can see that downtrend from late December to where we are now. And, you know, we have bounced a couple times, but lower highs, lower lows. I think we make a new lower low. And I think it's going to coincide with everything we talked about. Microsoft scares me a little bit, not because it's not a great company. None of those things. Everything they've done over the last five years has been spot on. What concerns me is the market's going to interpret a slowdown in growth or a slowdown in demand as a bad sign. And then they're going to say, wait a second, maybe Microsoft is not warranted of a market multiple of about 25 or thereabouts. And then you start doing the math. And those lines that you drew in the NQ make a lot of sense to the downside because I think it'll probably be led by Microsoft, but not the only one. So this chart does not look particularly good to me. We've talked about it hundreds of times, uh, seemingly, that the NASDAQ actually is traded poorer than the S&P 500. I think that trend will continue. Yeah, just real quickly, just to kind of put a bow on the rate conversation from before, though, Guy, is that, you know, this this headline out of Bloomberg was pretty interesting. Um, Powell's bond market recession indicator is sending a warning. I mean, you know what it is. It's, a, you know, short-term, mm-hmm. three-month bills are now and where they will be in 18 months have tumbled about 95 basis points in July alone, the biggest monthly decline in data uh, going back to 90, 1996 when it started. You've been calling for lower long-term yields as a reflection of kind of the lower growth environment. Look at the yield on the 10-year. You thought it would get here. It's here. It's at 275. And now you see that kind of 50-day, or excuse me, the 200-day moving average, which was also the March breakout level down there at what, 220 or so? Mm-hmm. Could we get to 220 in the, the most aggressive rate hiking cycle the Fed has been in in, what, decades? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, sloping higher, as we see. So yeah. each day it'll probably add, you know, a tick here or there. So by the time these things line up, it'll probably two and a quarter, 230. But to answer your question, yes, we can. And a lot of people will say, well, lower rates are bullish for the market. Well, depends on the environment that we find ourselves in. I would suggest in this environment, they'd be anything but bullish for the market because it would suggest growth is slowing in a meaningful way. So I've said, and I know you know this, that I thought two and a half in the 10-year was in the cards. I thought two years would be stubborn around 3%. And that's seemingly happening before our eyes, which would suggest an inverted yield curve of about 50 basis points. But if we were to overshoot down to two and a quarter or so, I can't believe that the backdrop of the market would be all that constructive if we were to go there. So can it happen? Absolutely. Will it be bullish for equities? Absolutely not. Yeah, that 210 spread is at 26 basis points or so right now. That is the widest in 20 mm-hmm. years. Um, and, and again, I mean, listen, whatever you want to define a recession as, it doesn't really matter. Well, I think the stock on, market... I don't mean to interrupt you. It's <clears throat> yeah. interesting you say that because we talked about it yesterday, but the white, you know, this administration is trying to at least yeah. explain what the definition is. And you wonder why they would put that out on a Monday before this GDP print. It stands to reason that maybe they have a whiff of something that the rest of us sort of intuitively know. But it's going to be interesting to see if, in fact, you get a negative GDP. I have no idea. But if, in fact, you get one, it'll be interesting to see um, some of the rhetoric around that. Um, So that's why this week is so interesting. I mean, obviously, earnings without question, but 
No, that don't discount that GDP print as well, Dan. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, it might be the sort of situation where just the acknowledgement of it, you know what I mean, it might be the thing that maybe causes some shorts to cover, but I think you'd probably lay them back out on that because it doesn't, you know, people talk about a soft landing. Powell said maybe we got a soft-ish landing. I think the acknowledgement of a recession in the first half of this year, it just to me would mean that we are in for a much further slog, especially when you consider one really important point that we have not seen unemployment tick up one bit. And I know there's a lot of people holding on to the fact saying, whatever you want to define a recession as, throw it out the window because until we see higher unemployment, we are not in a recession. And so again, that might be the case, but I've heard about jobless recoveries. Remember that in the wake of the financial crisis guys. So who knows here, man, you know, I don't know. I listen, let's talk about some of these things because I, I guess that, you know, some, some folks figure that maybe we avoid a recession because we've seen a pullback in commodities. Maybe the price action in something like gold, for mm-hmm. instance, suggests that maybe inflationary fears are overblown. This thing fell out of bed the other day here. And now it's kind of hovering above those early 2021 highs. You saw that massive double top guy going back to 2020 here really has to hold and i'm just curious thoughts on gold right here as like as a trade is it something that's worth like playing in the futures market and then maybe putting a stop right below those lows and playing for a move back towards that 200 day moving average which is about 1840 yeah 1680 1700 being that level it appears as though and i think that's right if you're looking to trade it that's how you trade it vis-a-vis futures um and you trade it with those stops in place and, you know, I have to be flat out and say that, you know, gold has been frustrating for me. I've been right. I've been wrong. I've probably been more wrong uh, more than I've been right. And people say, well, is gold should be performing in this environment. And if you want, I guess the counter argument would be when inflation was a problem that was not being acknowledged, that's when gold was doing its best. When inflation was a problem that then subsequently became acknowledged by this Federal Reserve, that's when gold started to give it up. So I guess in some sense, gold is probably doing what it's supposed to do. The question is, how long will inflation be a problem? And at what point does gold say, you know what, you're trying to combat this, you're not going to win. So I don't know if we're there yet, but to your point about the trade, I think it sets up well here, understanding that I've been wrong now for months. No, I mean, again, I mean, one of the reasons why we're highlighting those levels in the futures is that, I mean, to use, um, you know, the futures contracts and set limits on it, you can kind of play or shoot against those levels, right? And then protect yourself to the downside in the, in the case of using stops there. So I think that makes perfect sense. Another one that's lining up technically, Guy, would be crude oil here. Mm-hmm. When you look at the downtrend that it's been in from just over one. 20 um, in mid-June, right? And we saw it kind of break its 200-day moving average for the first time since late last year. It's kind of holding on for dear life. Well-defined downtrend. You see that 90 level. That was the level where it went parabolic at the start of the invasion of the Russians of Ukraine here. And you look at this level and you say to yourself, man, if it goes to that 200-day moving average again and then breaks 90, I mean, we might find ourselves at that kind of 86 level that was the high in late October, maybe early November. Thoughts on crude and then also extrapolating what does it mean is that is the fed closely watching crude are they more interested in gasoline at the pump what what's what's what are you most focused on here well there's no question they're watching the commodities market and the king of the commodities market is is crude oil and then obviously the products gasoline specifically being one but they should also be watching heating oil and nat gas i mean you think about what's going on in natural gas in europe i mean that's going to be a problem 
that we will absolutely be talking about on Fast Money, on Market Call, on On The Tape, on all different things in the fall. Just stay tuned for that, folks. But to your point about how you trade it, um, it traded back down, held that line. You thought it was going there. It did. We're now challenging this downtrend line. You know, you know where I think. I think we're going to break through on the upside and have another run in crude oil. Obviously, I thought the Biden trip, President Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia might mark the low. That's actually uh, proving to be somewhat correct. You nailed it. You nailed well, it. And the supply-demand fundamentals are still supportive of the underlying commodity. Um, it just has to get on its horse. And, oh, by the way, if the dollar would have come off in not a meaningful way, but yeah. instead of going up every day, seemingly slow down and start heading lower, obviously that headwind for crude would be somewhat abated and potentially could be a tailwind for the price. <laughs> Well, it's funny, you know, we've been looking at the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index. We know what's going on with the euro. It's back at parity. It has not been there in 20 years or so. I'm not so disappointed about that. I'm going to Italy next week, mm. your, home, your homeland guy, Adami. But when you look at this Dixie and you look at that 50-day moving average that had been rising, we don't have it there. We have the 200-day, which is all the way down there at 99 and a quarter. But that 50-day has been support this entire year. It didn't even get there. And it really looks like it's poised to kind of make another leg higher. You know, you break up, you bring up a great point. You know, the last time we saw the Fed get hawkish, this was 15, 16, right? Coming off of ZERP and ending QE, um, we saw the dollar rise and we saw crude oil head lower. And when we had patches of kind of global growth concerns in that time period, we saw crude really get hit here. So again, if we go into an environment where global growth is not materializing, you know, crude could have um, lots of risk, especially if you consider what's going on with the euro that maybe seems very specific to the euro, but may continue to put upward pressure on the Dixie. And why are we focused on it? Well, today in particular, we have a bunch of U.S. multinationals that have reported or will report, and they're taking, you know, some big losses, the Walmart one, for their dollar exposure here. And again, what do you do when you have all of these sorts of pressures on margins? Well, you spend less, you cut costs, you cut jobs. And that's one of the reasons why we're really focused on it from a stock market perspective. No, no question. You talk about the job cuts. I mean, I don't want them to come, yeah. but it certainly appears as though that's what's happening. We talked about seven of the largest NASDAQ names seemingly are, are freezing a hiring or cutting staff. I mean, that's not particularly bullish, I don't think. And now, you mentioned the rising dollar. I mean, Walmart said it cost them a billion dollars with a B this quarter. Now, it sounds like a big number. It is. You're talking about Walmart, by the way, a company that does north of $650 billion in sales over the course of a year. So although it's a significant number, you have to all, everything is a bit relative. But you heard from Microsoft two months ago, a month and a half, two months yeah. ago in terms of their currency risk. And now you're going to hear from Microsoft, and you wonder if it's going to be a demand thing. So, again, the dollar is, we say it all the time, it's a wrecking ball for corporate earnings. And the higher it goes, um, the worse it gets. And the longer it stays here, the harder it is to climb out of that hole. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Microsoft. Reports after the close. Like you said, I think investors, might they be surprised about the forward guidance as it relates to FX? You know, of course, that may be. And then it really comes down to what do they have to say about demand? We've highlighted on many occasions on the in the kind of enterprise SaaS space, Bill McDermott, CEO of ServiceNow, a couple of weeks ago, kind of said, listen, they're starting to see things weakening. If Microsoft, a $2 trillion or nearly a $2 trillion market cap company, were to do the same here, um, you know, enterprise names are going to have some problems here. Look at this chart, guy. Was it saying to you the implied move in the options market 
is about 5% in either direction. The stock's down about 25% or so on the year. You know, we've talked about the multiple, a little fat relative to many of its, you know, mega cap tech peers, but they do expect to have double-digit earnings and sales growth next year, which if you're starting to think about the out year, maybe that's growth at a reasonable price, trading about 23 times or so. Give me your thoughts on how this thing plays out tonight. Well, 5% move is a $12 move. 250-something gets us to 238. It makes sense. I think, that, I think to me, um, the stress point is lower. A lot of people say, wait a second, valuation is about as cheap as this stock has been in a while. It's Microsoft. I totally get all those arguments. And listen, if we come in tomorrow and the stock is trading 265, 270, we'll have a much different conversation. I'll say, you know what, Dan, I was not right on that. It was dead wrong. But if you listen to all the dialogue over the last couple of weeks, just around the edges of where Microsoft lives, it's hard for me to believe or it's hard for me to come up with a bullish scenario where they'll actually guide higher or say things that are encouraging. I mean, everything around their universe is seemingly getting softer. So it stands to reason that Microsoft is going to see that. And we've said for a while that currency was the first leg, demand will be the second, and I'll stand by that. So, you know, I think 235 to 235-ish is clearly in the cards here from, um, from Microsoft. Yeah, and I guess the point would be is that let's just say the FX for this quarter is already in there. Let's say they're able to kind of give some visibility on that. Let's say they don't show some sort of demand weakness there and they're executing well in a difficult environment, which they may well be, Guy, I mean, for all intents and purposes. But I just think it's the sort of scenario where you might have a one or two day bounce. I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing that sparks a broad NASDAQ rally unless you have a couple other names this week that basically indicate maybe the worst is over. I just don't see that happening right now. And especially, you know, this this alphabet is really interesting because, you know, we saw all of these ad-supported internet names on Friday down in sympathy with that horrible quarter by Snap. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second here. This stock is down 2.5% today. It was obviously down a lot on Friday. You know, you just talked about a really favorable valuation relative to its history for Microsoft. It doesn't get better mm -hmm. for alphabet right now but if you're taking you know reading some of the tea leaves about hiring pauses and about cost cutting and about you know ad budgets being pulled and what meta is thinking about and what snap just said and what twitter just said i don't know how you can look at the google or the alphabet and say we're not in for some bad guidance here and if you look at that chart you know now that the thing is split that kind of 100 level that really nice round number that's a really important technical level Sticks out like a sore thumb. And again, Google, you think about everything they've done. They've effectively done everything right. But the stock price actions suggest otherwise. And obviously, YouTube being a huge component, but not the only component. There are a lot of levers for them to pull. And when you back out their cash position, you're probably talking about Google. It's trading at a valuation, again, not only cheap probably to the broader market, but cheap to itself. With all that said, it's about sort of the guidance and about the language that they use. And they're not going to be protected or impervious to some of the forces these other stocks have felt so love the company love the valuation you have to wonder though if we have another leg lower here as well and you wonder what it's going to be on the back of you know what will they say that's going to scare people and that's why these earnings calls are so fascinating but i think lower first yeah, I mean, it kind of brings me back to kind of like 20 years ago, guy, and, and you know, the, the kind of post-dot-com period or really the top. I mean, no one wanted to believe that we were in for a long bear market. And you and I have been talking about it on Market Call 
all year and really started late last year that large park pockets of risk in the stock market have been in a bear market for mm -hmm. some time and Since many this of these time last year if not yeah. before yeah and, and you were and, pointing it out i mean and i mean interrupt but you were yeah. pointing these things out last late spring early summer yeah, and I guess the thing that really stuck out to me is that, like you, we had a front row seat for that pocket of over-exuberance, and there were so many similarities, and when you threw in crypto and what was going on with NFTs SPACs. and SPACs, and yeah, the whole thing, it just really felt that way, but it was really hard to kind of bet against all that stuff, and you know, one of the things that a lot of naysayers were saying, the permables, was that, okay, well, why hasn't the mega cap names, why haven't they participated? Well, they are now, Apple showing some good relative strength. I just want to address one thing really quickly, Guy. We have have a question from mm -hmm. a viewer because I mentioned, you know, listen, in late May, early June, I started picking at a handful of NASDAQ names, QQQ in particular as an ETF, but I also bought a little PayPal, a little Meta, a little Netflix, a little Snap, and then a little one more name I'm kind of forgetting here. But you I know, I say it was PayPal, but I might be mistaken. Yeah, PayPal, Smat, Netflix, Meta, um, and there was one other. But here's the thing, okay? I trimmed the QQQ today. I trimmed some Meta. I trimmed some Netflix. I trimmed some PayPal here. And one of the reasons why is that I really do think we're about to go through lower lows and make lower lows. And I think that there's a couple of these names that are really going to have another gap lower. We've been talking about it. One of the reasons why I wanted to start with a quarter position was kind of basically work myself in dollar cost average. I still have these positions. I do think we're going to have maybe a couple big gaps in a couple of them. And then I really want to kind of layer into them. I'm not really particularly worried on long term, but near term, you know, stocks that go down 50, 60, 70, 80%, they can get cut in half again. I learned that lesson the hard way recently in Snap. I bought some in late May at 1280. I bought some on Friday at 1065 at $10. I bought some today at 975. I actually feel really good about it. I think risk reward is down about 20% but up to 300% over the next couple of years. And I just really wanted to be clear. We have a, a question from a viewer here though. Dan, what's a quarter position? Please outline how determined for us noobs. And I just want to make one point. Let's just say you had $100,000 in investable assets, okay? And you wanted to look at 10 individual names and you wanted a dollar cost average into those names. I might say that I want to have equal size positions, let's say about 10%, that'd be about $10,000. I'm dipping my toe in the water the first time around. Maybe I buy 2,500 of it. You can buy them in slices now. You don't have to buy a round lot or anything like that. And that's how I think about kind of doing a quarter, a quarter, a quarter. I've done that in Snap. In all of those other positions that I just mentioned, I was up in them from the May lows. They were down more. I just think with earnings and what I think for the QQQ and the market in general, we're going to see lower lows this summer. I trimmed them a little bit. And what I think is going to be an ugly month or so, I'm going to add back to those. And I did add a name today, Shopify, that is down 15% because they just made a big job cut guy, 10% of their workforce. So I guess my point here is that I'm trading around a portion of it. I'm dollar cost averaging. I have a long-term time horizon. I'm reducing my risk right now. I know that may sound counterintuitive, but I'm keeping these positions. I will add more at lower levels, if that is helpful, Guy. No, I think that's extraordinarily helpful. And I mean, that's exactly right. It doesn't The dollar amount doesn't matter. It really, whether it's $100 or a million dollars, I mean, the, the math is the same and the discipline around it is the same. And what Dan is saying is, you know, you can layer into these things and your cost basis will improve regardless of whether or not the stock goes up or down, if you think about it. So, you know, that snap position, by the way, that Dan bought in with a 12 handle, I mean, that stock was trading 1680 or so yeah. 
a month or so later. So he could have made the decision at that point to say, maybe I missed it. Maybe it's going to get away from me. I'm going to add more to my position. Maybe I can sell out of what I bought, or I'm just going to stay the course. And what happens, happens, and here we are now. But when you have a plan in place, I think to Dan's point, it makes this game, which is very difficult, just that much easier. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, in hindsight, Guy, I should have actually taken some snap off. I had a big gain in a very short period of time. You know, Netflix, they did report, and I did have a nice gain. I did take some up. I think it will come back below 200. That's where I want to add to that. I want to continue to add to Snap. I'm going to start building a position in Shopify. I'm going to add some uh, meta and Netflix back here. So, again, I'm just kind of – I have a focus on a handful of names. And then the QQQ, that is how I'm going to play Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon guy. If that thing were to really kind of get some steam to the downside because the big names, I want to kind of do it through the QQQ. That's my trade. I just want to be really transparent. We've been talking about why I like these names, how I'm trading them. I did make some moves today, and there you go. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, that's why we try to hopefully that um, illustration helps, or that explanation helps. But we, you know, again, you can't be dogmatic in your views, but you have to have views, you have to have opinions, and you have to be somewhat true to them and stay the course. Obviously, at times the world changes, but at times you have to sort of, you know, dig your heels in and say, you know, I really think I'm going to be right about this. But that's what makes this so difficult, and that's why we try to help you each and every day, except Friday. Uh, but maybe we'll do Fridays <laughs> one of these days. Who the hell knows? But that's it for today. Uh, Yankee baseball this evening. I think they're on TBS for those that care. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, where risk and fact meets opportunity. We show you the risk and we try to outline the opportunity. We want to thank uh, Open Exchange because they power us each and every day. And if you like what you see, hear, read, whatever, throw a like on or send us an email. Do something. Whatever it is people do these days to um, emphasize like or dislike, we're here for you. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, can't wait. Carter Braxton Worth on Wednesdays join us. But that's it for today, Dan. What do you got to say? I got to say, I loved your little kind of bookending this whole market call with kind of the uh, Subway series well, you know here a little I'm bit. On, I know. Man. I think you're expecting two wins of the Yanks out there at City Field. By the, way, so. by the way, I don't expect anything, but I will say one thing. If you watch one thing today other than Market Call or CNBC's Fast Money, look at the video of Aaron Rodgers going to <laughs> Packer camp. It's some Nick Cage-like yeah. hair thing. you got to save that for Market Call on yes, Thursday with EY. Will, She's going to love that stuff. But I'm just letting you folks know now. Anyway, Dan, see you later. See you later, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys.